You can see my award-winning climate comedy show spoilers at a festival near you, provided you live near or are going to McHuncliffe or Wells Comedy Festivals. More dates added soon near you, conceivably, who knows what might happen. And if you are at Mac, come and see ComCom Redacted live at 4pm on the Saturday. Go to stuartgoldsmith.com and click the very attractive banner image to find out more. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello, I'm Stuart Goldsmith. Welcome to the show. Today, I'm very excited to be talking to a brilliant comedian called Russell Hicks. Uh, He's an American, originally from San Diego. He's now based in the UK, and he has a very unusual approach. I won't say uh, unique, but it's certainly very, very strange. He is a serial riffer. Uh, Russell is not interested in writing material, preferring instead to go on with as close as possible to a completely blank slate every time he walks on stage. Now, that would be all well and good if he wasn't absolutely brilliant at it, which he is. We're going to talk about the differences between what Russell does and uh, what Ross Noble does, which is probably the uh, the nearest equivalent in the the British comedy um, uh, pantheon. That we can, uh, it's Pantheon's too much, isn't it? I was, <laughs> I can't remember what I was going to say. I had some idea of like, uh, you know, the galaxy of stars, that kind of thing. The most famous guy that we know who is an improviser is, uh, and yet a stand up is Ross Noble. But what Russell does is very, very different, very distinct from that. We're going to talk about the economic consequences of approaching uh, a set like a game of pinball, uh, particularly when you are in an industry which prizes reliability. Uh, we're also going to talk, oh, there's some great insider stuff. If you go to comedianscomedian.com slash insiders and join up there, then the extra podcast, the private podcast that accompanies this series. Is, is it a series? Just this podcast. I just didn't want to use the word podcast too often. Basically, you can get hold of extras, including why Russell chose the UK over America and uh, how it felt to be told he wouldn't succeed whilst he was actually succeeding. Uh, and also, I put a suggestion to him. Uh, which he doesn't go for, and which it turns out loads of comics suggest to him, and we find out exactly why he doesn't go for it. So comedianscomedian.com slash insiders for all that extra stuff. And I will mention this again, but while I remember it now, if you go to russellhicks.co.uk, Russell with two L's, you know, like Russell, everyone has two L's, russellhicks.co.uk, you can get hold of, I think for only £3, uh, Russell's album, Russell Hicks, The Brain is in the Heart, A 24-Hour Odyssey Through the Edinburgh Fringe Festival, Abridged, which is a pithy title, but it consists of three different hours recorded in Edinburgh 2016. So you can see, if you approach comedy in this way, just diving in and chucking out stuff, then uh, you end up with lots and lots of things you can release. We'll talk about that and more. Please welcome to the show, Russell Hicks. 
you are okay. You're on a journey, I think, amongst comedians. Yeah, you're on a journey. Yeah, you're trying to find something out about you and about you on stage. Is that fair? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, like, uh, aren't we all? Aren't we all really? I mean, what other reason is there to start doing it? Do you know what I'm saying? I was thinking about that on the walk over here. I was thinking about like, uh, it is true. Like I, okay, like when I first started, I, I, I think I. Uh, for the past couple of years, it was about taking it less seriously. Like, I think, like, especially in the first, like, two years, I took it so seriously. And the things I used to say with no irony in my voice and that, that people would point out to me, like, you know what I mean? Like, I remember one time I was doing a gig and everybody was dying. And um, I looked at the – I talk, I was talking to the girl who was, uh, you know, working the night. And I just said, um, look at us, man. We're like Roman gladiators going to battle. And I, I was serious. Yeah. And she just, and it was so great because she didn't. She just stared at me and she went, "Really? Is that what you actually think you are?" And I was like, "Oh my god, you're so right." I just realized in that moment, I was like, "No, we're doing a comedy night. Yeah, we are not risking our lives in the middle of the Colosseum." You're right. Whoops. Yeah, sorry. But I thought I always saw it like, like, uh, you know, like when I started out, I thought like. Uh, but I think there's, there's an element of like a, a lot of people have said that, you know, I, I remember like Jerry Seinfeld said something like that once about like it's uh, it's you versus yourself. Because like I feel like the first time I went on stage, all of my sort of like insecurities and all of my like all of the hangups that I had had my entire life that I wasn't even aware of, you know, some a lot of them I was. Some of them I probably gave too much attention, which is what comics do because we have no self-esteem. But you – I got on and I felt like it was like when you squeeze a pore in your face. They Something about being on stage and it's such a pure form of expression and it sort of strips away uh, – it, it just it's just like, like I said, like squeezing a pore. It just squeezed all of these – sort of like toxic vibes to the surface that I that I sort of uh that I feel like I I succumb to uh sometimes and you know like for example like you get on stage and I I realize already like I don't like uh when I feel like people are looking at me and judging me I I get really like I lash back you know and 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 often I I would realize through the course of doing stand up I was like I think you misperceived that judgment you know what I mean and then so I would like as I started, you yourself, Mr. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, as I started to deal with that on stage through the guise of you're just trying to become a better comic, you're trying to relax, you know, you're trying, you start to see in your normal life how those things are applicable, and then you apply those techniques to your life and realize, oh, I've been, I've sometimes been like um, misperceiving, you know, interactions daily, and then it sort of changes the way that you, um, you know, interact on a daily basis. And so through that, I think it was like, you know, yeah, it, it, I mean, you always say comedy therapy and you think that's kind of wanky, but like in a way it, it was a little bit uh, in that sense. So, that, okay, notice I didn't say anything about joke writing in that time. You see what I mean? There was no like for like two years, you know, it was, it, it, to me it was this like, uh, whereas most people were just like, ah, I gotta learn how to tag that up. And it was, just, I was on some kind of like, uh, I, I was purging the soul, you know, and 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 so I I think, uh, yeah, I I sort of realized, okay, wait, like this is a bit, you know, you can go too far down the rabbit hole with that, and then and and you know step back on it and all. That, that was your but first two years. I would say the first two or three, yeah, were like were more like, I took it. I mean, I took it. 
Yeah, I just took it very seriously for like two or three years. I still take it seriously, but I mean, I just I'm saying like I took the like the um I don't know the implications of it, like what it meant. It was never really about the actual substance for me. It was always more like it was never like oh I want to learn how to. I started out trying to write and all that. I mean, I, I wanted to be – I listened to everyone. I was listening to every single album I could. I I, re, I mean, back to the 50s, like I was like, I'm going to learn everything I can about stand-up comedy and, and try to do this properly. And then so uh, – but I'm just saying like in that first year, it was so much more like there was a – there was a um, – what would you call it? Like I guess like a – there was a, like a, there were like metaphysical implications to me, you know, you know, like, I, I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like it was a, it was, I heard Mark Marin say that once and I thought, yeah, I get what he means. He said, what did he say? He was like, he, yeah, yeah, yeah. He said, he was talking about how he like, he never felt like an entertainer and he was never actually trying to entertain people. He was on some kind of, like you say, like a quest. And, uh, yeah, I, I what am I trying to say? I, yeah, I just think it's interesting that I I saw stand-up as that first, whereas, like, some people would say, it's a job, we're here to tell jokes, we're here to do that. And I think I saw it as an artistic platform and a mode of expression first. I liked Lenny Bruce, I liked Bill Hicks. And so self-indulgence was, uh, you know, people say, people say, like, it's a negative. But I actually think, ironically... In order to get the audience to enjoy themselves the most, ironically, you have to, for me anyway, self-indulge to a level that you've actually convinced yourself as much as you can that you don't care what their reaction is. You, okay, just unpick that for me, that you self-indulge, that it's an indulgence to not care what they think, or it's an indulgence to appear to not care what they think. It's not an appearance. It's like, well... no, it's not an appearance. It's like you realize, or at least I did. I don't want to say for everybody because everyone does it differently. But I realized early on that I am the funniest when I go up there totally for me. I try to have my fun first, be totally self-indulgent. Um, but why do I have that fun? Because I have that fun because that's when they start enjoying it the most. Sure. But I can't go on thinking I want you to enjoy it because that's when – uh, you you know that's when they 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 don't so, so so sometimes I would get criticized by comics or whatever and they'd be like, um, you, for example, like and, and comics have some comics are very sensitive to that. Like for example, when I watch, I used, I love watching self indulgent. When I watch Daniel Kitson when he's doing just ninety minutes of like you know he's and he's doing his drinking tea and looking at his notes and when I used to watch this comic in America. Midnight at the Comedy Store all the time when I lived in Hollywood, his name was Brody Stevens. And he just killed himself, mm. which is so sad. Mm. I loved watching him. He would infuriate people. It was just the stuff he would do, you know, like no jokes, not giving, not doing stand-up in any sort of conventional way. But But when it worked, man, it was just so exhilarating. You know what I mean? And again, it's that, it's that self-indulgence. It's... It's, uh, I was thinking of this today too, like an artist, I, I have this battle going on now where I've seen something happen recently where there's like business and, and art are, have melded in a way. And I don't think people are recognizing it 
uh, as, and, and, and it really messes with me, you know, because, uh, now we're expected to be the business. We're expected to be the PR. We're expected to be all of these things at one, uh, in one. And, and to me, I can't reconcile the two of them. And I also kind of, I, I challenge myself on that. Like, are you just being like childish? Are you being this like romantic, which I've been accused of a lot, but I can't reconcile the two. So I saw this advert go by for, um, sky cinema. And I noticed sky cinema is doing, um, originals now movies. Okay. Why are they doing that? Because Netflix has had success with it. And I said to myself, well, that's what a business does. A business sees what another business does and they copy it. That's exactly the opposite of what an artist does. Yeah. A business gives the people exactly what they think they want. That is the exact opposite. Um, in inherent, uh, intention of, of an artist. And I, I think that, it's a mistake to uh, to try to to behave that way as an artist. I think what it, what an artist does is goes on and says, and, and this is what inspires me from the audience, and this is what I think gives the greatest charge is is to just go on and do exactly what you want for you for the sole purpose of, like I said, like purging your soul, and then just you know, and then that that expression in itself motivates the viewer and then that's what makes them come back to see that artist over and over again now what people try to do is then take that and turn it into an algorithm and say you got to get a fan base and you got to do it like this and they look what Stuart Lee did and they go so do this do this do this and do this but then it's by the very nature of that contrivance I think you've already lost it you've already diluted it So this is Russell. You can hear how excited I am. I'm just giddy. I love his brain. I love his approach. I love his dedication. And uh, if you haven't had the chance to see him, this is someone who you should 100% go and see live. If you haven't, uh, if you won't have the ability to do that one for one reason or another, then and who knows if he even has a gig list online? Uh, as you'll have heard, he uh, he uh, issues social media and just gets on with living his life. God, isn't that an exciting prospect? Um, so I don't know whether he's regularly putting a, a gig list up, but russellhicks.co.uk, uh, if anything, if he has a web presence, you'll find it there. And also the chance to buy that album, which is three different hours from Edinburgh 2016. It's only three quid, and it's a great way to support someone who is doing a really uh, brave... Is that patronising? I think it is brave. Uh, he's doing a very exciting thing with his comedy. And what I admire so much in Russell is his unswerving dedication to treading his own path that's something that i always find very inspiring when people do that and russell is doing it differently to everyone else so more from russell in just a second of course go to comedianscomedian.com slash insiders join up there to get access to the private podcast the the slack workspace on which we gossip and uh, and on which we also get together to create comedy critique which a couple of people have been talking about recently i feel like i've banged you over the head with it but just for anyone that doesn't know one of the strands on the private podcast for insiders only uh, is called comedy critique and we're on episode nine or ten i think open micers or much newer acts send in five to seven minutes worth of their stuff on audio i play it on one episode i invite collaborative feedback from all of the insiders people send in over this workspace app that we have they send in their um 
their feedback and then I curate the feedback along with my own and feed it back to the guest on the next episode of the podcast on which we then hear a five minute set from the next person. So there's a little bit of space in between them. They're not super regularly. I try and do them monthly. That almost never works, but there is a decent bank of stuff building up there. And we've had some absolutely brilliant comics on it recently. And one of the most exciting things about that project is just being able to participate in someone else's creative process we all get a hand in you know if you ever sat there in a comedy club and thought oh that joke misfired and i know why and i i don't know if that person knows why or oh i found a link in this person's set between the brother they mentioned there and the guy they mentioned later on if that was their brother then it would link together even more even more schmick um so if you if you're that person if you've ever sat there thinking i wish i could get involved then one of the strands available on the private podcast is comedy critique so uh if you are listening to that then you there should by the time you hear this be another episode up i'm about to do the curating feedback bit of that project for the new episode uh where we're critiquing uh, a very fun comic called dan jones uh, i'm about to do that now in this uh car in which i'm sat in a car park outside a rugby club in the southeast of england about to do a gig this is the life. So, um, more from Russell in a second. Edinburgh is coming up, of course. Russell is not in Edinburgh this year, as I understand it, but I am going to be there at Monkey Barrel at 3pm daily. And if you go to the Monkey Barrel website, holy hell, what excellent company am I in this year? Very, very excited uh, to be in a venue with such exciting comics and friends of the pod as Alfie Brown, Lou Sanders. I mean, oh, there's a, a brilliant Icelandic comic whose name I shan't attempt to dredge out of my memory, but I'm going to try and snag him for the pod. Heard a lot of very exciting things about him and um, loads and loads of people. So go to the Monkey Barrel website and check out who is going to be there. I will be there at three o'clock daily. And thank God I've managed to sort my accommodation just two days ago. Uh, Edinburgh this year has gone just ballistic, even more so than usually. It always costs an arm and a leg to stay there. Someone I know was quoted seven grand for a two bedroom flat for the month. It's completely bananas. But I'm sorted for accommodation, which was a huge weight off my mind, which I didn't realise was there. So listen, that's all uh, That's all that stuff. My show is called Primer, and as I'll have mentioned to you before, it is a work in progress, and I'm hoping it's going to be different every day. The plan is to do a couple of hours writing in the morning, toodle along, smash out a show at three o'clock. If you've seen me on tour in the last few years, you'll know in the second half of the tour shows, I often do new material from notes, and it's aggravatingly often better than the first half. Uh, I am going to try and do an entire month of that kind of... Uh, very loose, but also very heartfelt. I'm, I, I find when I throw myself into crisis, that's when the most real stuff comes out. So it's going to be a whole month of that, and I just can't wait. Primer, 3pm at Monkey Barrel. We will have spreadsheet day very soon, and uh, and you can enjoy all of your fellow super comedy fans' approaches to timetabling all of the shows they're going to see and participate in at the Edinburgh Festival this year. Right, that's everything for now. Uh, Post-amble at you in a little while. For now, let's get back to Russell Hicks. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. 
J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. You are an exceptional improviser. And I, not in a kind of, every time I use the word improviser, mm. it calls to mind like, mm, give me a suggestion. Yeah, not yeah. that kind of thing at all. But I suppose the nearest equivalent in the UK to the sort of thing that you do mm. would be someone like Ross Noble. Mm-hmm. You're nothing like Ross Noble. But yeah. you have a similar quality of, like, do you have material? Like, I feel like you've got bits. Of, I've seen you yeah. I've seen you say the same thing, but not in the same way. And it's almost like, well, if I can get there or it needs that, I'll chuck that in. But you're happy riffing for a half-hour set. Yeah. I would say, like, when I approach a set, I always looked at it like a game of pinball. Like, if I can and, – and I used to play pinball like this. Like, if I pull the thing and then it doesn't fire the way I want, I just let it go in the gutter. <laughs> but if I can launch it, you know – and then you just relax, it can go. So I'm my my MO when I hit the stage. I have is to like, say I've never understood pinball. It always seemed to me to be random. Is that just because it's moving too fast for me to perceive? No, I feel like it I mean there may be skill involved, but uh, like <laughs> okay. I don't know. But but uh like when yeah, when I hit the stage, my goal is to is to stay in the pocket and do no 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 material if I can. Because Ross is a great example and I've talked to him extensively and he sort of perplexes me because he is able to balance the two. He's able to be fairly responsible on stage. Like he will riff, but also say, this is going to be a show. Uh, and, and whereas I'm, I just feel like I want to just like, you know, if I start dipping into material, it's kind of like, I'm either losing faith or I'm losing interest, you know? So, but I'm trying to work on that. You know what I mean? I'm trying to like I mean, that's what's great about Edinburgh. And that's why I that's how I approached Edinburgh. Now again, I approached Edinburgh in a way that's probably completely like like some people um they go there and I was always fascinated with how like I look back and I go, Oh my god, like people who do their debut hours and they know the score. They know that festival, they know what to do, they know how to do it. And I'm not knocking anybody. I think those shows are fantastic. I love watching people up there. But I'm just saying, like, I went into the festival to learn something i was like i want to because i know this this festival benefits a structured show Mm -hmm. so let's see how i can do what what's gonna what would my version of a show be you take my skill what would it be as a show i look at ross and i go okay that's what he does it's not really what i would do so how um and for the most part i've proven that uh you know, I, I haven't been able to to do it yet. <laughs> I just sort of do an hour every night and uh, that's it. I remember walking past the blunderbuss and seeing you splitting a stage with Phil K. Yeah. And it, I had one of those moments of going like, whoa, that's not what I, oh, that makes sense. Do you yeah, know what I mean? Yeah, like yeah, I get, yeah, and yeah. I really respected that choice. A, because I think Phil's incredible and anyone yeah. who's prepared to throw themselves into the mouth of the wolf alongside Phil. Yeah. I kind of think, not that he's any kind of threat, but it's, there's no way you're going to be able to pin anything down. Oh, yeah. Phil. And so that made me go, oh, right, because that is what Russell does. That you, you don't want to be pinned down. You want it to be – it's the perfect partnership in some ways. How, how was it working with him? Was that, was that useful? Yeah, it was great. I mean, like, he emailed me out of the blue. Like, I didn't even know him that well. 
I, I don't, you know, and he just emailed me and he said, uh, let's do this show. I said, okay. We met once at a Weatherspoons <laughs> to like talk about it. He had a bunch of notes on a notepad and I said, and then he just, I remember at one point I said something about, something akin to what I opened this podcast with. Sure. And he went, brilliant. And he, threw, yeah. and, he, and, he, and he, and he, and he like chucked the notepad. Like he like literally like chucked it. And then we like, that was it. We hung out. Cause that was like one of the first times we met. And then we did the bus. And, um, I would say it was really interesting, man. Cause it was like being, it was only 10 days, but it was like being on a journey with like, it was lit. It was being with him through every aspect of his performance. And if you like Phil K, it's like, it was like, I was with him on the nights that maybe it wasn't great. See how he feels about it. See how he acts, see how he acts before the show. And then we really, I'll be honest with you. We had one night where it took off like they always say it does with him, you know? And it was like euphoria. It was incredible. It, I don't even, it was like one of the, one of the top five, I'd put it in my top five. I don't even know. It was just the audience was there. He was there. And it just like, I was riding with him and it was, it was incredible. He's an example. Again, he's another guy like that I seek out like a Brody Stevens where if I'm up at the Edinburgh Festival, I'll dip in uh, and see Phil specifically to get a little shot in the arm because I think his comics, that's why they're called comics comics, is because sometimes we need to see someone like a Johnny Vegas. We need to just go watch someone take it to this other level. And uh, it's almost like, it's like biblical, man. Because if you see a comic die, just an incredible risk-taking death, it it sort of eases your pain the next time you're in a weird situation. You go, you know, you have a bad set and you go, well, it's not like that one time I saw, you know, so-and-so freaking bomb in front of the head of BBC and take a piss on stage, like whatever. And you're just like, yeah, great. So I don't know. These are the characters that that inspire me. But um, I think also I I, I can like uh, I, I try to uh, I work at it hard enough that that hopefully it's not a situation of like, oh, you got to see Russell like 49 times out of 50. He'll freaking like. And then that one time, you know, it's not really like that. But, uh, but yeah, I don't know. That's, that is what it is to me. I don't understand people. And for the most part, man, I love comics. We all get along and we all enjoy each other's company. But every once in a while, I'll come across someone that I just think you need to just relax a little bit, man. This is not like, you know, they see it as like, uh, you've got to do this and you've got to do that. You don't though. You really don't. You don't have to do anything. You do whatever you want. Just go up there and make them laugh. How many times have you got off stage and the audience came up to you and went, oh, I really liked that setup. And when you tagged it like that, oh, no, they don't. They just, it, that was funny. And sometimes I've gotten off stage and done a whole set in Edinburgh where I just riffed and, I, and I'd and i be like a little insecure and I'll say something to someone like, it was a good show, but I'll go, yeah, I know, but I didn't really do anything. And you can just see in their face, they're like, well, I don't know what you're talking about. Like, I don't know. I didn't think that deeply about it. It was funny. Yeah. And it's just another yeah. example of us taking it too seriously. When you said a moment ago you you work hard enough at it that you you've got a good hit rate, yeah. You, I, well, you didn't say hit rate, but it, it's the yeah. work hard bit I'm interested in. Mm. What is the work? What is the work? If the work isn't writing jokes, yeah. What is the work? Uh, uh, you are good at this podcast. <laughs> yeah, I uh, yeah. So when I started out, I was like, I was very I was very quickly, and I liked the fact that I didn't know of like 
let's call it crowd work. I, I don't like those terms, by the way. That's like a little foible I have. I don't like crowd work or riffing. I think they're pejoratives. Like, I, sure. When yeah. I said riffing, no, no, it's that's not that okay. I saw your reaction. It's just that I, I went, that's not really what I mean in this no, context. No, totally, man. Yeah, I just, sure. like, I just had this. spritzing. Yeah, like early on, I just thought, <laughs> oh, so it's like, it's almost like a, uh, it's like, oh, so it's a, it, it, you know, it's a deviation from the norm, sure. you know, as opposed to like bits, which is real comedy. You're riffing. Yeah, You're yeah, just yeah. riffing. Anyway, and also, whatever. Yeah, and also it suggests that it's um, it kind of packages it in a way that's kind of grotesque. If actually in with with you what you do and with what Phil K does in mind, yeah, yeah, it's like oh, it's I'm not rip. It's I haven't changed gear into doing this. I'm this living, breathing mushroom of comedy. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, yeah. That's kind like, of like, I, I was the whole funny. thing. Yeah, yeah, I was funny tonight, and I entertained you. Is as as people would be like, yeah, you would just just slightly, you know, sure, uh, you know, and. I don't know if comics mean to do it, but occasionally, and I would get it like when I was in America sometimes, you know, you'd get like a maybe an old school headliner or something, you'd get off and you smashed it or something, and they go, uh, yeah, that was that was pretty good, man. I'd like to, you know, a good riffing or something, or like, oh, I wonder what, I wonder what, I'd like to see you another time when you're not riffing or something like that. And you yeah. just, ah. Anyway, what was the work like? Um, when I started out, I was, I wasn't, so what I'm saying is I wasn't familiar with the crowd work or riffing or anything like that. I, I, I listened to a ton of comedy, but I hadn't really, Done it in a live set. I had never gone. I've gone to live comedy maybe once or twice. Didn't know you could really do that. I didn't know there was a thing. Where were you? In the States? Yeah, it was in America. I was in yep. uh, San Diego is where I started. Okay. And uh, so, um, but I very quickly, like, I thought I had this original concept of, like, could, what if you could just, I always saw it as, like, if you could figure out a way to just talk to them, you would unlock this infinite realm of possibility. Like, now you, you just, like, it's endless. You can do, you can go anywhere now. And so part of that was like, okay, so how did I start working on that? So I thought, okay, well, what do I got to do? So I got to first start learning how to do that. So I'd go on and I'd set myself a goal. I'm going to talk for one minute without doing a joke. And the fear would start creeping in. And I would push that fear 10 seconds at a time, 30 seconds, two minutes, three minutes. And I would sit in the fear. I would feel the pain. And sometimes it would bomb so badly and you would just feel like, this incredible, you know, those sets where you never save it. Like you, like, you know, there's some sets where you save it. You can, you can comment on the bomb and go, well, I'm dying. And they go, ha ha. And you go, all right, good night. And it was like, that was, that sucked. But then there's those ones where you go, well, I'm dying. Nothing. No, I'm really, and you try to save it. No set. Like, and you just can't, now you're running the light and and you just walk off to nothing. And it's just like, Christ, man! Like you, you, you get off stage and you're like, "Do I even exist anymore? Like, am I? Do am I just gonna like deteriorate like in the end of Avengers when Thanos <laughs> snaps his fingers? Like, <laughs> do I? Even you know, exist you know what I mean? Anymore? Like, so painful. Um, and I would push it, and then I started to realize, okay, so I started to get heckled, and I could really destroy hecklers. But oftentimes, also, like I said, I was really angry back then. So you know that Bill Hicks video when he's in Chicago where he, she goes, you suck. Mm. And he goes, oh, you fucking get out, right? Mm -hmm. I used to do that all the time. First of all, I love that video, and I think I was – so that would happen a lot to me. I would flip, and the audience, whoa, you know, like uh, it was too much. Or I would go after a heckler, and it was too aggressive. So what I started to realize, because for some reason, hecklers, and they, that hasn't happened for a while, but back in the, if I try to do an act, and I guarantee you, like if I went on tonight somewhere, I just said, I'll do, I'll do jokes for 20 minutes, watch what happens. Someone will heckle me. It's like a, it's like a moth to a flame. They just, and I took it back in the early days, uh, as, um. The audience was trying to tell me something subconsciously. They were teasing me out. They're going, come on. 
come on, this isn't, let's, because what does the audience want? The audience is a, is this body of energy that essentially wants to be, come on, like, let's entertain us. They don't know what they're doing, but, so when the heckles start coming, they're going, let's come out and play. What are, what are you doing? I'm, I'm bored now. So what I started to realize was, uh, you, someone would go, you suck, whatever. And I used to unload pure fury on them that was too much. It didn't fit. You know, they'd be like, this is boring. I'd be like, I'm coming to your house and I'll burn your family. And they're like, whoa. So I went, okay. So I remember someone hit me with this book called Truth and Comedy. It's about improv. And a lot of the tenets about improv, though I've never done group improv at all, a lot of the early, like the beginning tenets are very good, like yes and and shit like that. I literally just started doing that. If someone would say, you know, you suck, I would say yes. I would I would actually positively so it was all positivity. So this is what I would do. I'd go, you know what I like about you, sir? You speak your mind. You know what I mean? You're a good guy. You don't care who it hurts. You got an idea, you're gonna say it. I that started getting laughs. Yeah. I started to realize it, you you positively build people up and and lampoon them at the same time and they enjoy it because usually the kind of people that want to interact, they they like when you sort of like uh inflate this like this character that they're putting out to the world like look at this guy with his big arms you know whatever and that became slowly i would start with that and that was it and then there was a i used to have a so then so now i've started with that okay and then i would start to figure things out i used to have this thing that i would write down to myself all the time i'd write notes and i would say my rules were no questions um don't go blue because I always felt that that was a dead end. You know, once you start, now you're there. And it, it's, it, and they even have that in improv because it limits the possibility. Like once you start talking about genitals, you're there. Whereas if you force yourself, don't do genital, what else are you going to say? You got to talk about history. You got to talk about this. So you go all these mm-hmm. other ways. And then the other one was every time I got stuck in like what I would consider like a, ironically is a, <laughs> I would call it striking oil. How very mm-hmm. appropriate for an American. But I would like, <laughs> if I struggle, I would try to stay in it for a little bit. Yeah. And like, uh, and the, that became a thing. So at a real show, I was always working, even at a real show, I'd be like, uh, tonight, if you hit something like that, stretch it further. See if you can like extract something from this guy and turn it into like a five minute thing. And, then, and that was it. And then it just kept going and going. And how did that affect your bookability? Like if people are listening to this now being kind of excited about those possibilities. Yeah. That sounds like a hard road, right? That sounds like uh, you're going to have – there's going to be – I would imagine there'll be some bookers who are like, he destroyed it. Great. Let's get him back. Yeah. This time it didn't work. Yeah. Because you don't have the kind of um, reliability that a lot of bookers are looking for. Yeah. I used to I used to feel um, – I remember there was a period where I started to really figure it out. Like around three or four years where I was like, okay, like this is – you know, the, the response was going higher. So I went, okay, so I like, I improvise. And then, and then you just have fun with it for a year and you do that. And then I remember getting very, I remember actually being upset that that was my voice. I was like, really? This is my skill? The most economically unviable. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, but you're not spending any time writing, so there's benefits. <laughs> right, but I thought like, uh, I kind of thought, I mean, I was just kind of like, wow, uh, why couldn't it have been observational comedy? Why couldn't it have been? Why wasn't I brilliant at one-liners? Yeah, like when you TV look. TV friendly, well, when, three yeah. second long one-liners. And that's the thing. I think when you look at someone like Brian Regan or McIntyre, even like people get, uh, 
I think that's really where a lot of the animosity comes for a guy like McIntyre is that people deep down are jealous that his his innate skill set coincidentally happens to be really profitable and people want to hear it. And I think some comics deep down – I know I saw Tony Law the other night and he's been doing this stuff because we do this new material now. He was coming on. He was talking about – uh, he was just he's, – he's probably teasing a new thing. I don't want to like spoil it. But he's talking about the idea of like why do I have to talk about time travel? I see these people and, and I was like, dude, I, that's it right there. I totally get it. But I think that's also a trap because that's like seeing your weakness – strength is a weakness. And um, I remember um, at a point I just went, okay. I went, all right. There's this philosophical um, concept called Pascal's Wager, Right. I know you told me not to worry about being pretentious, man, but there's this philosophical concept called Pascal's wager. And I remember uh, I was in community college at the time, and it was like basically his wager was, okay, it was about religion. He said, okay, uh, you should lead a good life. Here's why. If there is a God, okay, and you lead a good life, you'll get into heaven, and you also led a good life. If there isn't a God uh, and you don't lead a good life, um, you, you know, you won't get into heaven and you also, but you led a bad life. Do, do you see what I'm saying? So, sure. so if there is no God, leading a good life is still good. Because in the end of the day, you led a good life and you were nice yeah. to people. I saw that, and this is such a comic thing to do. I took that metaphysical concept and just made it into an allegory for stand-up, right? Yeah. Which I do a lot. It, it's terrible. I'll watch Schindler's List and I'll go, you know, that was about stand-up. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> what? Yeah. Um, so anyway, I just decided I went... Because uh, it, it didn't make me happy anymore to do what I thought was commercially viable stand-up. So I just went, well, if uh, I'm going to do what I want, and if in the end of the journey there's absolute, I get no success, I'll feel better. I'll know that I did what I want. But my God, if I um, pander and still fail, mm. I'll feel horrible. Mm. And, that, and if you pander and succeed, you'll be trapped in having to do yeah. the thing that you don't want to do. Yeah, and you might be able to comfort yourself with your, like, accoutrement of, like, a, a nice life, like a mansion and stuff. But, but man, the idea of of feeling so deeply that I knew what was correct for me and not following it and not getting anything. And so at that moment, I just said uh, – and also, I get a real charge out of risks like that. I like the idea of, like, this could go – tits up man like and and so that abandoned then once i decided that i was even i felt even better on stage because i was going into these sets like screw it throwing it to the wind man i'm gonna riff this whole set this is what i want to do i'm exploiting that and then that was that was it with some people i suppose that they would there's one of the comedy apprenticeships is that you kind of put yourself through the fire yeah. You throw yourself into risk, into difficulty in order to learn with the idea that at some point in the future you kind of clean up having having made your – having taken your risks and earned your stripes. Yeah. You then start wearing a suit but you're still like you're a ball of fire inside that suit. Yeah. Do you imagine yourself changing what you do or do you imagine yourself being 20 or 30 years from now – still being the the risk-taking ball of fire type mm. comic 
like to point out risk-taking ball of fire. Your words, not mine. <laughs> um, it's not often someone calls you a risk-taking ball of fire. Yeah, That's well, you nice. are, man. And listen, if anyone's listening to this who is finding some of these more esoteric elements of this conversation hard to swallow, just what, I mean, the, you really, know, the, at this point, how many episodes have you done of this podcast? Nearly, this is almost 300. Come on, these, yeah. these people know what the deal they is. Trust they trust me. <laughs> but you're, you're, just on a tangent, the, the video of yours had like a million downloads of you uh, Comedian versus 400 hecklers, yeah. which was you winning King Kong after mm. 25 acts had been booed mm-hmm. off. I think that's a reasonable thing. You know what I mean? That was That is a really entered, and that was years ago. I was pleased with that, and I, I held on to that video for six months. I would have never thought to put that out. And also, just as a quick side note, the titling of that video was a big, was tough for me. It was a choice. You talk about, yeah, yeah, yeah like yeah, that yeah. was putting, that was a, I, okay, and I find this is with a lot of comics. Rather than put comedian, blah, 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 blah. We just, we want to go. I, you know what I wanted to post the title of that video? Because when someone was finally like, you should put that out. I went, okay. I was going to say, Russell Hicks at the Comedy Store. Yeah, 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 yeah. I was, because I'm not I was an like, asshole and I'm not yeah, going to do clickbait. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. And then at, the, at that time, I was, was I had heard an interview with Roger Corman, who was the uh, famous movie producer, who would make these low-budget movies, but the way he would get people in the theater was he would call it Teenage Bloodsuckers from Mars. And I just went, I had a one of those rare moments where I was able to step back and go, okay, dude, if you're going to put it out, you want someone to watch it. Mm. So, you know, what's your Teenage Bloodsuckers from Mars here? And I went, okay, so comedian versus foreigner hecklers. And, yeah, I, and my feeling it. is it's not but, clickbait if... It's not if it's not a bait and switch, yeah, then yeah. it's not clickbait. It's like there's a there's a there's a quality thing that's worth yeah. watching there. Yeah, but I'm pleased with the fact that when you do go on it, it is like I'm. J- it was just me kind of doing yeah. a version of my thing. And the Crazy. comments, all of the comments are either, "Oh, you've made a fan. This is great. I'm subscribing," yeah, yeah. or, "Well, it's not as good as Bill Burr and Philly." But like oh, at yeah, least twenty people mention that, which to be thought of in that oh, same. Do you know what I mean? That's great, Kidding right? Me? Yeah. Wow. But uh, yeah, and I like that because um, it's like. I often think, see, I don't think too far in the future because, uh, you know, when you start thinking of what's my Netflix special going to be, what's this and that, well, it's like maybe you won't have one. Maybe you won't. Maybe you, like, I look at Don Rickles, right, who I thought was misunderstood when he passed, in a sense. I mean, he's been around. I don't know anything about Don Rickles. Yeah, so. British people, I don't think, um, knew as much about him. and um, But he was from the 50s, and he, but he kept going until he was 90, and he was a lounge he came from the old Vegas scene and he was a crowd work guy, but he was like, it wasn't just that. If you watched him, man, he just like, he, and uh, a lo- what got a lot of attention was how, I don't like this phrase, but like how un-PC his act was. Like, okay. you know what I mean? But I mean, he just came from, anyway, but the point was one of the best things he ever did. He never had a special. He um, did a performance at the Ronald Reagan presidential inauguration or something like that. And it's just five minutes and it's on YouTube. And he always said that is my favorite thing ever. And it's great. It's phenomenal. He's in the worst environment to do what he did. And he just absolutely tears it apart. And it's truth to power. It's comedy. It's brilliance, man. It's under the guise of he's just riffing. But he is he's sticking it to like there's an evangelical pre, a preacher in the audience. He's sticking it to him. He's sticking it to the president. It's great. And so I always – I. It's taken me a long time, but I because I was. You know, do you ever have that? Where you put something out. The fact that that got a million hits, I was kind of almost embarrassed that everybody saw it. You know, you're like, I don't know about that, man. You start thinking about what you, what it was like, and is that what I want to be out there? But but then after now, I've had some time away from it. I go, oh, that's kind of cool. That's one of those. 
that's kind of an example of how my stuff will get leaked out. It's like just a, a fluke. I don't, mm. I don't think I can plan like, oh, this is going to be my spot here. Andy Gleeks says, does he have repeated structures that he returns to that he can slot ideas or tropes or people into, or does his brain just work differently? And there's a sub-question, do you think stand-ups can train themselves or is it like to be to do the sort of thing you do, or is it just innate? But let's look at the first part of that first. I think it's a great question. And that's sort of the same as I was asking. Do you have repeated structures or kind of starting points? Uh no, oh, I certain I definitely don't have like a structure that I would say Yeah, that no. No. Definitely no starting point. I would say I treat I treat going on stage exactly how I just treated this question. When I went to take a pee, I didn't think of my answer whatsoever. Yeah. I would rather just have it be, be – and again, that's not that's not out of any sort of like – like I know – I'm making it sound like there's uh, been people criticizing me more than – I don't feel under attack in any way. But there have been in the past. We like I've, I've known people, people like see it as a laziness. I just lazy going on. No, no, no. I know – that the best way to improvise for me on stage is to get a genuine first impression. So what I'll often do, and this drives promoters nuts, is before I go on, I'm outside the venue sometimes. And people always ask me, they go, do you want to know what's been said tonight? Nope, don't care. Don't care that the guy in the front row works in IT? Don't care. And I might talk to that guy. I'll do something else. Because people can pick up on, in improvising, I feel like, it doesn't even matter if what you say is funny. It helps. It certainly boosts it. They can pick up on genuine reaction. That's why when you're starting out, you might like be nervous on stage, drop your water, and just say, oh, my water dropped. And you get a laugh. <laughs> why'd, yeah. Why'd you, yeah. Get a, why'd you get a laugh? Because it was a genuine reaction. You genuinely in that moment didn't care about us at all and just said, my water dropped. You know, yeah. it's like, that's funny. I've definitely probably trained. So I, that's how I like to approach because once I start thinking, again, controlling the chaos, that's when you go on and just aren't funny. You're, like, being very – I know I'm in trouble. I know I'm nervous at a gig. And I don't – when when I start thinking, what should I say? That's when it's, like – and now I've got the skill set to go. When I see myself doing that, I go, oh, well, here's what you need to do. You need to chill out and think of nothing because you go on with that attitude. You're going to bomb for sure. So – uh I try, I try not, I, yeah, it's, I try, so I try to get as, I want to come out into the audience and be, and just be totally shocked by like, and, and then get out of my own way and say whatever I, wh- what are my honest, unfiltered opinions of what's happening right here? It doesn't matter that, I feel like the, the audience gets a, uh, they don't get as much credit, uh, because people think if you talk to, let's say again, a guy who's been talked to already, well, he's zapped. No. Not if you do it in your own way, because I think the audience can pick up on, oh, you haven't been here. You don't yeah. know this guy. Yeah, yeah. And you can usually tell when a dude's been totally rinsed. Mm-hmm. If you go, look at this guy, and then they all laugh, whatever. But then you can even twist that around. As far as like structures go, when I'm up there, I probably trained myself, like I said, with the positivity, like when someone ha- – like make it positive, like positive build up. That works because the other side doesn't work. It doesn't work to go on and go, you idiot. Ugh, not for me. So, uh, and then there's elements of like when I can like exploit something, I don't have a name or a structure in my head of like, oh, I, you know, like in improv, 
where they say we're gonna play the sing game, the sing song game, or the the, the, sure. the this one's called catch and release or whatever. I don't have that, but definitely I kept putting myself in the same situation every night to to get better at it and like okay when I'm there can I can I do that and that and it's probably the same as like okay here comes pretension when a kung fu when a guy who does kung fu is training on that wooden horse yeah yeah he's just he's um impressioning the movements in his mind so that when he is in combat his brain just knows do the move you know what i'm yeah. saying it was like that I love it. I love it. For the sake of the listener, uh, Russell is looking slightly bashful at having uh, made that yeah, analogy. Yeah. <laughs> on, the, on, the, on the times I've heard, because I've heard episodes of this podcast where someone says that, they go like, oh, I'm being too pretentious. And you think, oh, you know, no, we're into it. And I totally feel it now. I get it. <laughs> Don't worry. They're into it. This Something about your great. nature really brings it out. And you feel it coming out of yourself. And you're like, oh, my gosh. I'm basically Bruce Lee. Yeah. <laughs> Comedy's Bruce Lee. Um, I should also have an honourable mention to Mark Greenhow, who asked uh, ask Russ about his lack of social media presence and how he thinks it affects his audience. We've covered that in detail, mm. but uh, I read that afterwards. Um, Pauline Eyre says, please ask him how he prepares for a gig. And she's read there's some other very complimentary stuff before and after that, which I won't, you know. Uh, how do I prepare? How do you prepare? What do you do before you go on? You've just answered that, really. Yeah, well, I used to like to listen to... I put put my headphones in. I used to put my headphones in. I always see you with headphones, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I put my headphones in, listen to music, block out. I try to... Like, genuinely, my my MO was, uh, for a long time, was to trick my mind into thinking we're not even about to do a gig. Get as blank, get as much of a tableau rasa as you can, as blank of a slate. Listen to music, walk outside, boom, you're on stage. Now what comes out? Blah! And you're just like, woohoo! Start rolling. How does it affect my? That's kind of like I just real quick though the the social media. How does it affect my audience? Yeah, uh, yeah. I I know we've talked about that, but that is kind of a thing of like where you think, oh yeah, maybe maybe no one is. I don't know. Again, it's just one of those things. Like it's very flattering, but it's like let's all just relax. You know, it's all working out. Maybe you know what I mean. I don't know. I don't know. It's like it. I just sit around thinking about how to get an audience. I just read this article with uh, Brett Easton Ellis, who I'm not I'm casually aware of, and I like some of his writing. And he was talking about back in the day when he was writing, he didn't write with any sort of awareness of an audience. I think I'm the same way. I just like pleased if you show up, but it, for some reason I can't do both at the same time. I can't like I can't do it, and also, uh, yeah, I, yeah, I don't know. I would love the kind of if people say, what kind of career would you like? Here's the guys I like. I like Chappelle. I like that Chappelle has nothing. Chappelle has no website. He has nothing. He shows up. Is that up. right? I didn't know that. He doesn't have a he's website. He a website, nothing. And he shows up and he's there. Bill Murray, the name of the, the namesake of the place we're in. He has no phone. He's got an answering machine that you call. How long? And, and even if you go on Bill Murray's Wikipedia page, they have to mention all the roles he's missed because he wasn't available. And it's like, yeah, but I bet you if you ask Bill, he'd say, yeah, that's worth it. It's worth it to be as free as I need to be. Okay, yeah, I didn't get Star Wars. All right. It's not perfect. It's not a perfect system. But I would love, I love that idea, man. You know, you just, you're just out there and they you, people come ask you to do something. It's great. You know what I mean? 
I like it when my when I see your eyes or you whoever you is. I I like it when I see your eyes go. Oh yeah, I suppose you know what I mean. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. A that's new what I mean. thought, or you know, a new yeah. expression of an existing thought. Yeah. Like I love. That, I don't know what the phrase is. I think it's like if a lion could talk, we couldn't understand him. I don't know what philosopher is responsible. Well, for I that. think you and I are too good. Too. I think you and I are interesting energies to come into contact with each other because I saw you in 2014, and I would say. You might not want to include this either. I'll mention something else, but you, um, like your show was so tightly written back then. I think I don't remember what it was called. With the one with the in the end, it was like a bird is flying outside. I don't oh yeah, man, thanks. Your show was so the opposite of what I do. It was like air tight, <laughs> and I and I, but but I love watching that kind of stuff because that's I'm watching another skill set, and I just thought, man, dude, this is like. Being at a science fair, and some kid brought an actual rocket ship, like, and you're just like, you're just like, oh my god! And like, meanwhile, mine is—he's got a lot of heart, mine. Yeah. Uh, basically, I'm just lighting M80s in the corner, like, watch this—they blow up. Um, and Phil K's running around for some reason. Um, well, I don't know if I want to say this, man. Likewise. And uh, there's no criticism whatsoever. I always thought it was kind of funny. So I look at a guy like Alex Edelman, and I always thought, like, we, we, he got, he won the newcomer the same year I did what turned out to be my debut. That's a different story. I was doing 45, I was going to do 40 minutes, and then my agent pushed me to an hour because, and she's lovely and I love you, but I don't know if that was the right move. But like, uh, I always thought, like, he's kind of like, it was like the alternate universe, me. You know what I mean? Because, like, he knew that festival, he knew it. And not in a cynical way, like, oh, you put that there. But I mean, you know, like, I would say that was an example of doing both. You know what I'm saying? It was like, I'm going to do this. I'm also going to make it, uh, you know, do that extra little work to, like, give it that extra boost. You know what I'm saying? Whereas I'm, like, painting on a cave wall. He was like, well, I'm going to paint. I'm going to put it on a canvas. Mm. And then I'm going to, like, you know what I'm saying? I So... I just remember that. I remember because I didn't understand the festival as much as I was. It was about two more years before I went. Oh, I get it. Yeah. The the and again, I love that festival, and I'm not one of these people that's. Ooh, this, this, I'm I'm just saying there is an element of the. There are things you know, like that you can do to. You understand? I understood PR more. I understood the. The difference in the venues and the times and the, the you know what I mean? You go on at this time and the, these are the best ways to... Anyway, what was the point of that? I don't I know. I don't remember. Uh, you you said uh, about the decision to do an hour, what turned out to be your debut show. Yeah. Because it strikes me as like doing 40 minutes, the coward's hour, That uh, <laughs> that's that doesn't seem very you. I would have thought you'd be one of those guys who's like, oh, I'll just immediately bite off an hour. I'll just start now. Let's do an hour. Yeah, well, I certainly did. But I, I, well, because I had just, I, first, everything about, I think the reason I said the alternate universe thing was I just noticed, uh, and I suppose I do mean that in a complimentary way. I mean, like, I look at, like, I look at that skill set, the ability to create and also um, package is, uh, you know, I'm aware. I don't, I don't shun that. I go, oh, yeah, like, yeah. You know, there's like you like you said about being funny and putting it on a podcast. Like there you go. That's that's the two halves. I decided to go to the Edinburgh Festival in April. You know, now I know 
That's just that's insanity. Like people, this is if you're going to do, especially it's your first time. These people people been working on it forever, right? So I decided to go in April, and I just said I didn't even know this was a tactic. I just went. I think my agent mentioned something to the effect of, yeah, if you do an hour and I, and I went, oh, okay, well, there's no reason to shut that door. So mm-hmm. I want to go and see this festival. I want to learn about it. Well, let's just do 40 minutes. And you know, it, always, it always helps to, why, why deliberately close myself off from the potent possibility of one day? So cool. And then I remember I was up there and bless her heart. She came and saw me one night and she was a good show and I was riffing and everything. And she was like, we got to make this an hour. I think this is great. Now I realize that, first of all, an improvised show is the most persona non grata thing you can do up there. <laughs> so now knowing that, I just kind of felt like, oh, why do we do that? But it doesn't doesn't bother me. It doesn't keep me up at night at all in any way. You, uh, I feel like what you need to... You could frame it as it's almost like it's it's beatboxing, but I don't do any beatboxing. <laughs> do yeah. you know what I mean? Because beatbox shows sell, you know, that kind of like, I'm going to take some stuff from the audience and I'm going to, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know what I mean? Like or battle rapping or something like that. Sure. That sense of like, this is sexy because I don't know what's going to happen. Whoa, like that. There's probably a way of packaging the fact that you don't have a script that you would you would hate. This is no point in me saying this. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, I remember Gordillo. Like making, making a virtue out of... What is a fucking virtue? Making a virtue out of it. You know, at Edinburgh, it's like every, what, 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 what this industry prizes is people doing something different. Yeah. Doing something really different. Yeah, yeah. I tried that and I think critics panned it. Like, Go I, on, what did you try? What well, you I tried to do this. Uh, I tried to sort of like re, um, how did I try to do it? I tried to, I tried to insert at some points in my shows uh, this sort of like philosophy that, Watching someone die hard, taking risks, is is is, is artistically valid in, and is in some way more moving and palpable than a perfect show that's a bit soulless or something like that. And I don't know. I think it just came across probably like, I think you're just trying to make an excuse for the fact that you're dying right now or something. Uh, or like, are they you're not really shame. Gone. Yeah, like that message would like, sell really well on a great night, but that message will be a harder sell if it hasn't well, been Well, yeah, <laughs> if it wasn't going, or like, I don't know, just in general, I think it's just, uh, I mean, I do believe that and everything, but also like, I think bitterness, like, bit, um, and I'm sensitive to this too, and I think it's a mistake, like, like bitterness at the festival, like when a comic is bitter on stage about the festival, and I, I do kind of think, well, then what, what are you doing here? Like, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, I don't want to fall into that trap. I still think it's a fun, like, I like being up there. I like, I, I think it's hard to get bitter about it in the sense that if you ever look at the website for the main award winners, try to have any truck with the winners. I mean, like, it's, for my money, it's pretty wall to wall, like, great comedians mm. you know what i'm saying so uh so yeah well, i just yeah no one really lucks into the nominations do they? no i mean like i look at it and i go yeah these people are all fantastic and it's uh i do think the improvised thing up in edinburgh like if a if and again this doesn't get a lot of time in my mind but a little misunderstood probably a little bit you know i've heard people on the committee talk about it and i think like it's that's what i mean it's the, the the criteria that is is flawed f- in regards to that style of comedy because you know if you have like 20 things that you're um scoring on like a boxing match 
you know, like let's say you're scoring a yeah, boxing yeah, match yeah. and it's about jabs and stuff, but like sure. this one boxer comes in and he's I don't know how this is a totally fucked metaphor, but he's throwing water balloons or something like, sure. you know, it, it 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 doesn't work. So they're saying it's a different show every single night. You can't. But there's got to be. It, but it's yeah, it's something. not called the scripted comedy. But it's award. something. Yeah, yeah. But then you do get reward. That's what I mean. So okay, you don't get whatever tangible uh, badges or something like that, but. Uh, you, yeah, you know, you get a reputation and people, you move on, like, uh, and again, same thing with the, uh, same thing with the, um, why, uh, I'm more likely to look at my skill before I look at my, oh, I'm not, you know, with the following, like we talked about, it's the same thing with bitterness. I'm way more likely before I get bitter and, oh, it's all rigged against everybody and all that, Mm -hmm. which some people get on my behalf. I'm way more likely to look at, you know, well, have my shows been, and then compare that to like the incredible performances I've seen up there and things like that before mm. I, uh, mm. anyway, that's where my... is, where is your mental health in this? Is there a, is there a cost to the, you seem very intentional about like, I'm going to live like this. My career is going to be like this. I've decided like Pascal's wager, it's better to do this than that. Yeah. Is there a is there a cost to that emotionally or kind of mental health wise? Do you find that like you are you can be a victim of like a critical voice? Yeah. I can definitely be really hard on myself, but to be honest with you, dude, the mental health thing, all of these choices were made uh with mental health first. That's why. That's why they don't always make practical sense. Because I'm not going to do anything that doesn't make me happy. I'm not going to do anything that stresses me out. And that includes, like you found out, checking my emails every day. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like that includes going somewhere I don't want to go to. Like I don't, you know, I'm not going to go to that party. I'm not going to go there. I'm not. And um, yeah, it's not a, it's not really a box I put myself in that has caused me uh, caused me any anguish because all those decisions are made based on no that doesn't make me feel good doing betraying what i see as my innate style of comedy didn't make me feel good so regardless of the carrot in front of me i just said well i'm not going to do that then and i do think that if you do that what happens then you're ensuring that every single moment you're in a place that pleases you and is in line with what you want to do. And then when you string all those moments together, you realize, oh yeah, that actually was a good little plan, wasn't it? But it wasn't a plan. Do you you know what I mean? It's like I see see potential trajectories as rivers, okay? And rather than get in the river and paddle really fast, I will just sit in the river and relax. But I choose the river. So occasionally you do have to switch rivers. So sometimes I'll see myself as in a certain river and I go, all right, let's actually, I'm going to have to make a little effort to put myself in this other river and then relax. Do you know what I mean? Emails is a good example. I was like up to my ears in admin for a while, a couple, and I was like, I don't like this, man. So I did some switch arounds. I figured some stuff out. I read a book on it and then I went, right, 
So now you have the email thing for the Yeah, listeners. just put a little out of it. You have, yeah, you're permanently out of office. Yeah, permanently yeah. out of office. And then you can call me. I'm there. Arguably, I probably got to take my phone off airplane mode more because sometimes I'm totally incommunicado. But that's an example of the Britain thing was a river. It was like, all right, well, yeah, I'm going to go. I'll put myself in. The, you know, do you know what I mean? It's like if you're, I think if you're guided by that, you'll you'll end up rather than being terrified of where you're going and thinking I need to just be cool now, dude. You know what I mean? Like we're like in a, if you're making a living at comedy and you're not at work on a Monday, that is for my, for me personally, it's a massive win. I am like thrilled by that. Will that still be a massive win 10 years from now? I do prepare in some ways, like, uh, uh, and I thought one of the most interesting podcasts you did was with Maria Bamford because Maria Bamford talked about money. Yeah, right. And that I emailed her agent and said, "Listen, is that can I can I leave this in?" She seemed fine with it. I yep. know her agent, and uh, he. I get know, what was she like, was yeah, saying. Fine. She was, what she was saying was, this is a very brass tax element of what we do that no one talks about. This yeah. is only relevant to freelancers and comedians. Yeah. There does come a point where it is as like the the. Uh, Comedy has made me better at my finances than I ever would have become on my own because it's the first time it feels like this is my actual money. And yeah, again, it's a river. So I go, I, there was a period for like a year where I was getting a lot of work and I thought, but I'm still broke, you know? And I was like, what's going on? And then I realized I've never tried to get good at money ever. It's a skill. Again, this is a theme. I get a bunch of books on it, try to figure it out. Okay, boom. Now I've got a little savings plan, you know, you get your little, and then it's a river, set it, good. So I have, I always have a plan B or C like, Hey man, if I like, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to be the best comic I can do the best I can. And if I get there, great, but I'm probably also going to be able to get, you know, or if I can, I'm totally cool. I'm getting a nice little cottage in Eastern Europe, you know, cheap and just chill. I used to make a joke that one of my goals was really, and I don't know how much of a joke it is, is like by the time I hit 50, I want to live in the woods somewhere in a nice place, grow a giant fuck-off beard, and just write terribly verbose novels that nobody will read. You know, like if my name was enough that I could write them and people would read them, and then just have one of those Wikipedia pages where I'm just looking over my shoulder, like, you know, like, <laughs> you know, like, a, like a J.D. Salinger, like a... You know, like a pinch-in type thing, which is probably egomaniacal to put myself in that category. But that's okay, man. That is cool with me. Why? Why are you like that, do you think? Like, because I, I listen to your, yeah. you talk about being San Diego. To me, that feels like, hey, it's a river. You know, that's quite a Californian thing, especially when sure, it's said man. in your accent. It's I don't like know. The ocean, Where are yeah. you from originally? San Diego. San Francisco. Okay. So I know you, you have a very specific accent that I, I can't place i don't know yeah. american accents very well but there's a couple of things in moments yeah, where I'm yeah, like, yeah. oh wow what is that is that yeah, somewhere yeah. weird totally. um, okay so i might go okay sandy that's a he's a san diego guy yeah but you're a, what else factors into it why are you why are you like this like did i just think that i'm sensitive i'm sensitive and so i've had pain early on i like i'm a san diego guy but i wasn't like a beach dude i wasn't like i've always been at some point and I think most comics are like this, society sort of like rocketed past you and you just found yourself on the outside. And so you go through high school, ostracized. So there's kind of like pain there. 
So then you get, you know, I do certain things. That I think uh, to answer your question as uh, straightforward as I can, I started comedy late. So, you know, you go through most of your early childhood thinking I'm special. And then what happens is you don't go to college. And then you, you know, what? and then next thing you know, you're 24 and you're working at like an office. And you're looking at the guy next to you who's been there for, you know, he's 60 now. And you think, whoa, dude, this sucks. This is like, I'm this, I'm doing this for eight hours a day. I'm miserable. I have made some serious mistakes here. This is a really sad lifestyle that can happen to you. And uh, so I remember when I started comedy at 26, uh, I think, and this is what I think for most, this is, these are the kind of comics and the type of artists that I relate to the most. When you start any sort of artistic endeavor, really, if you break it down, it isn't about making it. It's about finding an alternative lifestyle. Comedy is just the vocation for which we have figured out how to channel that, okay? Because we live in a society that says you have to have a job. So basically, if there was no society, comedians would just be hanging out on an island somewhere, making each other laugh, having a good time. We don't really feel the need to go up and stand on the stage and get paid for it or whatever. But because we live in society, that's the job. So that's how you end up doing it. For most comics that I admire, comedy was the last thing we did before we got into a life of crime. We're just like, I can't do anything. We suck at work. Like, like really, I would go into work like I'm going to be a good office employee today. And I would just end up getting in trouble by the end of the day. I suck at it. So you're looking for the, it's the lifestyle, really, man. You just want the lifestyle. Not to say that you phone it in on stage and become a hack because... We are artists and we like value that kind of, but really, man, the lifestyle is my base. And I think like, like just walking over here, I, I remember like, I was just excited. I was like, this is great, man. It's a Friday and I'm getting a coffee over there and I bought a big issue and I'm like, oh, that sounds like I'm throwing that into it. <laughs> Trust me. Just so you know, I was so pleased with myself. I brought the, bought the big issue. That's why I was like, you're such a wanker. Like, um, so, uh, but what I'm saying is like, I remember every I would always make myself take inventory. And uh, this probably does sound very California, but I did do it. Like when I was in Los Angeles doing open mics, I had moved there from San Diego. Man, that is an experience like no other. Wow. First of all, when you go to LA at any point in your career, you know, probably guys come up from here. Like I was talking to like Sean Walsh or something once and he was like, yeah, you go there and it's like, they just, lo- they like love to let you know that, they, they, well, this is the big time, buddy. Mm-hmm. You know, that we don't know you here. So you're just like at the absolute bottom of the pit in entertainment. I remember I had crashed my car. I had a relationship at the time that fell apart because starting stand-up in the middle of a relationship is uh, direct. It's not going to work. And uh, But I remember after six months of that, you know, I still felt alive, man. Everything was in disorder, but it was exhilarating because I wasn't in a job anymore. I, uh, although I was having to try to struggle to make ends meet and you were surrounded by this like network of people who were also struggling. That's what I loved about being in Hollywood. It's like you had all these other comics that were like trying to get ahead and it became so trying that I remember actually walking down Sunset Boulevard once and audibly laughing, like sort of like the, <laughs> like the Joker, like a crazy laugh. Uh, but I remember for the first time ever in my life, for the first time ever in my life, I knew exactly who I was because when I started doing stand-up, everything made sense. I couldn't, I was like, 
It all makes sense now. Of course you used to get fired. Of course you are neurotic. Of course you got depressed in high school. Of course you this. Everything. Everything you can think of. And I still use this. It's like, because you're a comic. So it makes everything not... And just listen, my, my girlfriend will say like, oh, I felt this way at this party. And she's down on herself. And I go, you're a comic. Of course you did. We don't like sunshine or whatever it is. You know what I mean? And so I remember saying to myself, if this is all it ever is, if I'm just doing it at this level... Can I be okay with it? Like I would make myself imagine that this really was all that it ever was. And I would come to terms with it then and there and be okay with it. And that was it. So as long as you do that every time. So every step, maybe maybe now you're just a circuit comic in England. Not that you want to stay that way, but, you know, it helps to just – I think I do it on a subconscious level now. I think if this was all that it ever was, making a living, traveling around, and then you kind of like – Feel it in that moment and feel, that's not so bad. It centers you a little bit. I don't know. That's that's just how I've always operated. So, yeah. Are you happy? Yeah, man. I am. So that was Russell. Just a joy. Just a joy. What an invigorating conversation that was. Um, I, I am just so inspired by his approach and he's you know I, I loved it I loved it he's he's a risk-taking ball of fire guys what can I say um that is everything for now I'll post Amber at you in just a second I uh, just wanted to give a little shout out to Angel Comedy at the Bill Murray which is where we recorded that episode thank you very much to them for the the loan of their recording space they are always doing exciting stuff so go to Angel Comedy I mean it's a dot com or a dot co dot uk you're going to be able to google that faster than I can um assuming you are in a safe place in your car, run or bath in order to do that. Uh, but find out what Angel Comedy are doing. If you're in London in particular, there are some sensational shows there. They are always full of ideas. And I uh, I really regard them as doing something really interesting with what's going on in comedy at the moment. I think I get the impression that they're going to be an organisation which 20 years from now we look back at and go, wow, that was that scene at the time. So uh, thanks to them and uh, Barry Ferns in particular, Thank you, of course, to Russell Hicks, russellhicks.co.uk, to download this comedy album of uh, three different hours recorded in Edinburgh a few years ago. And thank you to producer Nathan Wood, podcast consultant Pete Dobbing. Music was by Rob Smouten, and Jake Crossland was my logging... Uh, I mean, he's not an elf, is he? That's, that's been bagsied. What is he? He's a man, a logging man. Um, remember, you can get in touch with me, info at comedianscomedian.com. I've got a particular request. You know, I've been uh, working hard in the last few months to put together this presentation to business on resilience and creativity and what, what your business can learn from the accumulated wisdom of, uh, of seven years and nearly 300 episodes worth of podcast. And um, I'd like to get it filmed. So I thought if you are someone who runs uh, an organisation which film things and have access to cameras and studio space. And crucially, you've got a decent number of staff members um, such that it would be worth everyone's while. What I'd like to do is come and give the talk to you for free. And in return, you could film it for me and, and cut it together. It just needs to be sort of simple two camera thing, I would have thought. Um, if you're in a position to do that, then please get in touch. Info at comedianscomedian.com. If that's, I mean, this is a, it's a worthwhile thing. It's around a 40, 45 minute 
talk with a load of time for Q&A, if that's what you fancy. And uh, I've had some really, really good ones of those recently. Very exciting and invigorating experiences. So uh, I think it would be worth your while for a tiny bit of uh, uh, filming and a little bit of person power uh, to help me get a, 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 a marketable unit of it uh, with which to show off. So um, so if that's you, and I realise it's a long shot, but you, if you don't ask, you don't get. That's what my dad used to say. And I feel that um, uh, that spirit permeates everything we do here, as you well know. So get in touch if that's you. Thank you so much for everyone uh, who has been supporting me. Thank you. I've had some fantastic emails recently. Really uh, very exciting to hear how people are activating the podcast in their lives. I really enjoyed um, an email from someone who was talking about the, the, the post-amble last week about whether happiness and success are linked, whether success leads to happiness necessarily. My feeling uh, that it may be linked, but isn't necessarily. The link isn't quite as clear as everyone thinks. Um, but that's had some very interesting reactions. So thank you to everyone for getting in touch. Remember, at ComComPod on Twitter and Instagram. And do join the Facebook group, uh, if you can track down the Comedians Comedian podcast. We're having lots and lots of about 20 people a week joining at the moment, which is very satisfying. And that's a very uh, fun and, I hope, inspiring and very warm and friendly and well-policed corner of the internet. So uh, please join up there. And as I mentioned last week, did I mention this last week or did I get cold feet and cut it out? I can't remember now. Episode 300's coming up. My plan is to appear on it myself. If you join the Facebook group, you can send in questions that I will get a crack squadron of comedians who've been on the show and are fans of the show and know my work. I will get a bunch of them to interview me and then chop it all together and make uh, episode 300. I'm feeling a bit worried about it, but I, it's in the diary now, so I'm going to do it. Anyway, that's all that. Thanks for listening. I will post Amble at you in just a second if you care to stick around. But just now, that concludes the podcast. So a couple of things to talk to you about briefly. Uh, one of them is uh, unashamedly an advert for a, a non, non-pay. This is not SponCon. Um, but uh, an advert for an incredible thing I saw, which is now coming to London, or actually already back in London for June and July. There's this show called The Swell Mob, and the show doesn't even do it justice. This is up there with one of the most sensational live experiences that I've ever undergone. It's up there with seeing drag queen Latrice Royale live at the Black Cap. It's up there with seeing uh, Fuerza Bruta by uh, the uh, Argentinian Circus Theatre Madness Company, uh, De La Garda. And um, it's just one of those, which, incidentally, if you never saw Fuerza Bruta, that was like Aliens Landing during the last night of the Glastonbury Festival. Just incredible. This is its own incredible thing, and probably the less you know about it, the better. I shall just try and whet your appetite, because I am evangelical about this show. I'm so excited that it's uh, coming back, and that that it is already back, that it's transferred. So I saw it in London when my best buddy Noel said to me, you should come and see this show. This is the fourth time I'm going. Do you want to come along? Um, What happens is, or what happened in the Edinburgh version, it may well have changed. I believe the plot is slightly different this time. Um, You walk into what is sort of a gin palace with a bunch of something like 20-ish costumed characters in it. And it's a bar and there's a real bar. You can buy drinks and you've got sort of in-game money. 
And uh, if you want, you can just sit there and watch the cabaret and watch the world go on around you as other people, as, as your fellow punters kind of wander around and explore the place. Um, but, and weirdly, I, that is some, all that some people choose to do with the show. And I did read one or two reviews of it from Edinburgh where the reviewer had clearly just taken it at face value and was like, yeah, it's kind of an average cabaret. <laughs> I'm like, okay. If you go and talk to some of the costumed characters, you will discover that it is actually a playable experience about which I don't want to tell you anything else. I don't want to tell you anything else, but just go. If you're a fan of the Crystal Maze, if you're a fan of escape rooms, if you're a fan of site-specific theatre, what was that show? Um, was it Alice Underground that was um, in the arches? What's now, where now they, they hold the Vault Festival, the Vault's underneath... Um, uh, yeah, it's probably called the Vault's, isn't it? Uh, underneath Waterloo Station. There was a show I saw there years ago. My, my friend, excellent actor Paul Kreitoff, uh, was in it. He specialises in those kind of things. And it was like a, a through-the-looking-glass, you and a bunch of strangers just tumble into this completely realised world. Um, it, if you're into that kind of stuff, you are going to love The Swell Mob. Go to theswellmob.com. Try not to find out anything else about it, just for God's sake. I think it's it's the early bird tickets are about 20 quid, and I think if you get a ticket later in the day, it's something like 25 or 26 quid. Just do yourself a favour. I know that's a lot of money. It is a very special thing that you will remember for the rest of your life. The dark room, that's the other... Do you remember I'm always talking about the first time I ever saw the dark room and suddenly felt like I was 16 again, discovering the Edinburgh Festival? It's that level of good. It's that level of... Oh my God! You mean, and the more you, the more you play it, the better you play it. The more you discover about how much there is to be played. I'm not going to tell you anything else about it. Theswellmob.com. I just loved it, loved it, loved it. So the second thing I'm going to talk to you about is um, uh, <laughs> similarly unashamed. I had. I just want to talk to you about me, kid. If you're bored with the with the children chat, um, turn off now. <laughs> There's nothing else for you here. You know, having listened to me over the whole course of pre-parenthood to the baby years to all the rest of it, you know that I haven't always found it as easy as I expected to. Um, my wife took Future Girl, little who's now seven months old. Uh, she, yeah, that went quick, right? My wife took Future Girl to see uh, her new niece, and um, our niece. Does that does, is that right? If her brother, if my wife's brother has had a baby, is that my step-niece? My half? How does that work? Just my niece. Fine. Um, went to see a lovely little baby who has uh, now supplanted Future Girl as the youngest member of the entire clan. And uh, I, I, had, I had the bootross all to myself for 24 hours. And um, I just learnt something valuable on the way, which, um, uh, which I thought I'd share with you because it seemed to represent... Uh, a one of those clicking, you know. Do you remember the game Downfall? Do you remember that game where uh, not not the not connected with the movie? Um, it was like it was almost Connect Four, except it had grey dials in the middle of it, and you would have a different. Hmm, it's hard to explain, and only tangentially relevant. But it was a sort of almost, if you can imagine, a cross between Connect Four and Safe Cracking. Good game, actually. Now I think of it, great game. Um, every so often in life, I feel like I experience a leveling up. You know, you learn something big, you go, oh, I'm older and wiser now. And it's one of those, it's like this, the dial on a safe just clicking forward, like click, oh, oh, right, yeah. I had one of those. 
I got up in the morning, all ex- I was got up in the I was gotten up in the morning by the boy, and I was all excited to have my big special boys' day with my son, and uh, and I started to get a bit giddy about all of the stuff we could do. I had to go for an appointment, a physio appointment for my broken thumb in the middle of it, so we were we were confined to the local area. We couldn't go too far afield. But I started to get uh, really excited about uh, the possibilities of our special day. And then I started to become a bit overwrought by the possibilities of our special day, as is my want historically to start thinking, uh, you know, to sort of fall into the sort of perfectionist idea of this has to be his special day. And um, of course it didn't. What would make it a special day for him is that daddy doesn't need to go to work and he's just going to play with me all day. And I'm so pleased I caught that in time because I started to get a bit worried and I started to try and pack everything into the day and we're going to go here and we're going to do that and we're going to do that. And then I started panicking that we weren't going to fit in enough stuff. And I was so pleased that I managed to catch it in time mid-morning and just stop myself. Didn't need to transmit any of this to him. I just mentally put the brakes on and went, actually... I don't need to fill this with anything. If all we do today is build a train set that goes from his room to the kitchen, he's, he sleeps on the same floor as the kitchen, which I, I don't love. It feels a bit weird, but um, but because he can get in and get biscuits like Mr Tickle. But um, if all we do is build a big train track and we spend hours over it, that's a win. And I'm so pleased that I managed to to nip that in the bud because I the, the I tell you what it was thinking back, the not very nice feeling I started to have was, I think I've said this before, about how you're, when you're you're hanging out with your kid, if you're, like, before you're a parent, I didn't realise this, before I was a parent, I didn't realise, you think it's a drag, you think, oh, my child has been sick, or has had a, you know, some potty training accident, or what have you, and you think, oh, that'll be a drag, and then when it actually happens to your child, you realise it's no more a drag than if you yourself had (laughs) been sick, or had a potty training accident, you know, if you have ever had, so, or, you know, when I, you remember from last week, or the week before, I was talking about having uh, suffered from syncope, and fallen unconscious, and smashed my head, um, it's, like, that's a drag, sure, when it happens to your kid, it's only as much of a drag as when it happens to you. It's not like you, there's another person you've got to ugh, look after. It's just, it's like you're looking after yourself. The team, the team themselves needs a bit of TLC. So you do that no differently. Am I making myself clear? No differently than if you were to befall something yourself. You know, your kid rips his trousers. Fine. It's like you ripped your trousers. Oh, that's annoying. But yeah, you, you see my point. Well, with that in mind... I started to feel a bit like I'm so, he's so much a part of me, I'm so much a part of him. It was a bit like he wasn't another person in the room that I needed to look after. It was like he was just me, and I started pinging around my head, like, um, around my head, that should have been, pinging around my head like I, okay, this, oh, this, this is, this, I'm realising now this is linked to something I'm writing stand-up about at the moment, maybe this will become a thing. When someone is there to perceive you, you're a bit of a better version of yourself. Agreed? When when there's a human being in the room, the more of a stranger, the more effort you make. When someone's very close to you, your partner, you make less effort. <laughs> Certainly less than when you met them, because they count as less of an outside eye now. My fear was that my son is so much a part of me, we're so close because he's my son 
that actually he didn't have the, the presence in the room of an outside eye. And as a result, I started behaving as craply as I do when I'm on my own. Have I made that clear at all? It's a big, it's a complicated concept, I know. But I, I, I just started to feel like he's so close to me that I may as well be mentally, mental health wise, I'm effectively alone. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Because there's not, I'm trying to, there's, I'm not trying to impress him because he's part of me. So I'm not being a very good version of myself and I'm falling prey to all the awful, uh, just bad thinking habits of, of going, oh, I've got to do enough stuff. I've got to, you know, all that stuff that I'm, I'm a bit like that when I'm on my own. And then when I'm with someone, I relax and I go, oh, excellent. I can, that person anchors me. I was adrift. His presence didn't anchor me as another person because he's my little guy and he's so close to me. So I, just for one horrible moment, I just found myself skittering at the top of a, a mental health slide and certainly were I to uh, go down that slide and start feeling crap, then that's going to reflect. That's not going to be great for him either. So um, so I managed to deal with it swiftly and go, actually, take all the pressure off. Just relax and just spend time with him. And bloody hell, I had the time of my life. It was so great. It was so great. Um, my wife is wonderful and parenting as a two is excellent and god my i mean i have no idea how people cope on their own i've said that before it's a preoccupation of mine anyone who's a single parent my god you're a hero uh, i saw quincy a brilliant comic or a uk comic called quincy who i uh, ran into at the comedy store 40th birthday party and um and i said to him i remember him to i've not been in a dressing room with him for five years we just haven't happened to run into each other and uh, i always remember quincy it was a single parent, is a single parent. And uh, I remember him talking about it backstage, maybe having gear about it as well. And uh, and I, I was so pleased I had the opportunity to go, Quincy, God, great to see you. I'm a dad now. I've got two kids. And I do this, it's genuinely true. Every time I find myself having a hard time, I think of you. <laughs> I think of Quincy and I think, Jesus Christ, he did this with two on his own. So that, that disclaimer repeated uh, as usual. My point is that it's it's a, a blessing and a joy and a privilege to be as part of a couple co-parenting. But then when my wife was away, actually, there is a whole new flavour of a sort of uh, an intimacy with your kid because it's just you and you're in charge and you get to make all the decisions. And it's uh, and I'm jealous in, in some ways because I'm often away for days at a time. And, um, and God, Edinburgh is on the horizon and that's, oh, talk about that another time. It is, it's terrifying me that I'm going to be away from my family for two weeks and then two weeks. Um, but it, I'm away and I'm jealous of the time that my wife gets to spend, just her and the kids. And so I got to have a little bit of that for myself just with, uh, with the Boutros and, uh, jolly lovely it was too. There's something, there's got to be something worthwhile in that, isn't there? Yeah. Ah, there we go. I, I reckon that's 15 minutes of ramble with approximately one three-second nugget. <laughs> right, that'll do. I'm going to go and do a, a gig in a rugby club and then a gig in somewhere else, which may also be a rugby club. I have not read the email. Bye for now. Back next week with... Ooh, what have we got? I don't want to say the name of who that we've got coming up because... Uh, 
this happened this is this happened with Andy Parsons you'll remember I broke my rule of never mentioning an upcoming guest until the episode's in the can and then bless him he was ill and he had to postpone so I won't tell you who we've got coming up but there are some very exciting episodes coming up and two excellent ones in the can with Marcus Bourbon and Paul Smith one of whom will almost certainly be with you next week have a great week I'll speak to you shortly bye for now 